The Cubs and Reds will play a part in this year's Field of Dreams game. Did baseball drop the ball on an opportunity to showcase the sport? Plus all the latest wildcard and division races. Deshaun Watson is scheduled to start in the center in the first preseason game in Jacksonville. Will the appeal of the six-game suspension by the league come down before he takes his first snap? Is Kevin Durant's ultimatum to Nets ownership a power play to get him out of Brooklyn? Serena Williams is about to make her last go-around in the world of tennis. Another big-time golfer jumped ship to the Live League, or did he not? And much more. Jones Inc. for Sports Talk, you're in the right place. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits. Revved up for another hour of chatter as we zip through the sports universe. Glad you've hopped on board as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Actually, quite a bit to juggle here on this edition as we'll get into the NBA. Of course, Kevin Durant and everything that's transpired in Brooklyn. Now, he has thrown down the gauntlet on whether he should go or either Sean Marks and or Coach Steve Nash should be out. You don't have a lot to say about that. So much to unpack there. As well as the NBA honoring and retiring the number six formerly worn by the Celtic great Bill Russell. So I'll have my two cents on that. Also, what's happening in tennis, the U.S. Open will begin in about two and a half weeks, and Serena Williams will take her last lap, in all likelihood, based on the Vogue article that came out the other day, her not wanting to use the R word, but talking about an evolution, we'll touch on that, as well as what's going on in the NHL, we have some sad news with a former Hall of Famer for the Maple Leafs, but also some Islander stuff that I need to get off my chest. And a big signing in Calgary, which was to no surprise with the big trade a few weeks ago. Matt Kachuk to Florida and Jonathan Huberdeau going to Calgary. Golf, did Cam Smith make the jump or didn't he? All the report says that he has, but nothing has been official. 
We know that the Live Golf League is pretty much taken over here with a lot of the players that have transitioned over to the Saudi League. So what's going on with Cam Smith, the winner of the 2022 Open at St. Andrews just last month? I have a few things to say there, as well as the NFL, Deshaun Watson. He's going to take a snap under center in the first exhibition game against Jacksonville. But what's happening with the appeal and the suspension, which should be tacked on from the six games that he originally received by the arbiter, Sue Robinson. Lots to get into here, people. Finally, as we're starting to open up the lens in the sports world, and baseball is front and center, as we all know. We have a Field of Dreams game, which has gone under the radar. I can understand why, because of the two teams that are involved. It is the Cubs. It is the Reds. For nostalgic purposes, those are two teams that should play in that game. Remember last year, we had the great game between the Yankees and White Sox to where the White Sox came back and won in the ninth inning on the Tim Anderson home run. This is after the Yankees were down, I believe it was 7-4, to four, going to the top of the ninth, and then you had the home runs by Judge and Giancarlo Stanton where the Yankees took the lead. But as far as the game with the Cubs and Reds, I get it that these two teams have been around for well over 120 years. And with the cornfields and the backdrop of that cozy stadium, we remember of how that all unfolded last year. Kevin Costner, who I believe is not going to be there this year, but I'm sure you remember the images of how everything took place in Dyersville, Iowa. I believe it's Dyersville. I should have that right. But we I do know it, it is in Iowa. And the Cubs and Reds will play a game where are a lot of people going to watch? Probably not. Last year you had two teams that were not only tops in the American League. This time around, not a lot of juice. You have two teams that are flailing in the National League Central. And it makes me think of two things when it comes to Major League Baseball having an opportunity to showcase the sport where there's pretty much nothing else around it. And I understand tonight the preseason schedule in football I bet you that's going to do more of a rating. Granted, it's local as opposed to it being national because I believe the Giants and the Patriots are playing as well as Tennessee and Baltimore. So those games, I do not believe, are going to be on network TV. But I bet you if that went up against the baseball, chances are the football would probably do a better rating. And this is preseason, the very first game. Whereas baseball, we're already into the dog days of August. We're 110 games in. I get it. You have two teams that are straddling the bottom of the National League Central. But it is baseball. It is summertime. And with everything that I mentioned about the setting and how this game should resonate with everybody in America, you're going to have, other than the markets in Chicago and Cincinnati, who the hell else is going to watch? And this is where baseball drops the ball because not that I'm watching round the clock on Fox or FS1, and I'm sure they had plenty of promos of it. Understood that it is Chicago, a big market, and Cincinnati, again, when you think of the National League, it is the Reds. Granted, they're not the Dodgers, they're not the Giants, but when we look at the history of the sport, Cincinnati is the one city and the one team that up until about a couple of decades ago, that was the first baseball game to be played before any of the other games on the schedule on that given opening day. 
And even with those two teams as bad as they are, you figure that Fox would have done something, anything, to have the game on its own to where they could attract eyeballs to the sets. I get it. You don't have a lot of stars that are on these teams either. It's not as if you have Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez on one side. And yes, you do have an aging Joey Votto. But there's not a lot of cachet. There's not a lot of juice, as I said earlier. And Fox, for whatever the reason, dropped the ball on at least trying to get people to watch only because of where the game is being played. And the Field of Dreams movie, we saw how all that transpired last year, all the festivities. Are they going to do it as big as they did last year? Probably not. But at least for one night and a Thursday night at that where Fox has the game on its network, not only did they have two bad teams involved, and I understand why, It's not going to have the same appeal if it's Giants-Dodgers, although those are two teams that go back to the turn of the century. And I'm talking about the 20th century and the Giants even before that. You're not going to have Arizona and Colorado. You're not going to have Tampa and Minnesota. You're going to have teams that have been a part of baseball for a long time. Just like you saw last year with Yankees-White Sox. And this year, obviously with reds And Cubs, what they could have at least pivoted to put the Cardinals in there because at least that would have been a scenario where St. Louis, they're doing well. They're in first place at the moment. Still part of the Midwest. The history of that organization. That would have been a better matchup than to have the Reds. And I understand why they put the Reds there for everything that I mentioned. But who's going to watch this game besides the people in Southeast Ohio, and obviously the Windy City. And I also get that we've seen enough Cub Cardinal games until we're blue in the face. ESPN shows the Sunday night games or whatever other network, maybe even on Fox, FS1, etc. But that would have been the more attractive game for the country to see. But now as I get off that and we get to the wild card and division races, and there's not a lot to really get into, You do have some interesting matchups this weekend, but before I even get to that, the one storyline that really shines and sticks out here are the Baltimore Orioles. And the Orioles, who have been playing excellent baseball, think about this, they were once 35 and 44 in the standings. And this was maybe, what, two to three weeks before the All-Star break? And since then... They are 24 and 8. Excuse me, 23 and 8. I got my math all screwed up. And we thought that coming out of the break, they had the Yankees and they also had Tampa. If they stemmed the tide coming out of the break, where, if you recall, they had won 10 in a row and then they lost two out of three over that final weekend leading into the All Star break. And I believe that was in Tampa. And now. Here they are, hot as a pistol. They had a three-game set. I think I mentioned four on the podcast Monday, and I thought I saw a fourth game on Thursday. They're actually in Boston tonight for a makeup game before they go to Tampa over the weekend. But they have been lights out here throughout this stretch, 
And we have to really take them into consideration. Now, could they fall off of a cliff in the next week to 10 days? Absolutely. But I think this team is here to stay, even on top of the trades that they made at the deadline, whether your name was Trey Mancini or Jorge Lopez, the closer, who went to Minnesota, Mancini to Houston. And they've been able to play with a lot of spark. They've been able to come from behind the way they did the other night against Toronto, where Ronaldo Dora hit a two-run home at the bottom of the eighth inning to secure a 6-5 win. And that's my one takeaway here as we get into the weekend is the performance of how the O's, and good for them. We know the O's had some success there in the 20-teens where Buck had the team go to the playoffs for, I believe it was three out of five years, even going back to 2012 when they lost to the Yankees in the division series. And then if you remember, they beat the Tigers in the wild card game, and then they lost to the Royals there in 2014. And they have had a little bit of success there during that time frame. And then they lost that game to Toronto. How could you forget? We always looked at Buck Showalter not bringing in Zach Britton to pitch there in relief. And then Jose Bautista hit the home run over the wall, and then that was it. So for the Orioles to now... Turn the corner? Is that a little bit too strong to even say? Considering the magic that has come out of Baltimore here over the last six or seven weeks? You could argue that because you wonder if this team has it in them to continue this run not only deep into this month, but obviously into September when it really is going to matter and when it really counts. Currently, they are tied with Tampa for the last wildcard spot. And as I mentioned, after tonight, they do go to Tampa for three huge games. And it'll be interesting to see how they're going to perform considering that they lost two out of three heading into the break down in Tampa. And now they have a chance to redeem themselves and see if they could secure that third spot in the wildcard all to themselves by the time we hit Sunday evening. You also have another team that actually made a move, in this case, the division, where the Guardians have rolled off five in a row. They're actually playing very well. They've overtaken the Central to the Twins, so where now the Twins are one game back of both Tampa and Baltimore for the last playoff spot. And the Twins, who are out in the West Coast, they lost two games in LA for their brief two-game series, and now they'll go down the coast to Anaheim over the weekend and we know Anaheim has been out to sea for quite some time so maybe they could take back the AL Central here over the weekend to where the Guardians I got to see where they're going to be playing but you have to give it up to what Terry Francona has done they've done a masterful job here just to keep themselves afloat and we know what has happened there over the years whether it's trading Lindor and even though they did re-sign Jose Ramirez But here's a team that if you can name five Guardian players, that means you're either a Guardian fan or a good baseball fan because what they've done here, especially over the last stretch of games, granted that they've been up on the Tigers, all right, the Tigers are a team that have been very disappointing this year and they fired their GM, Al Avila, just yesterday. But they'll go to Toronto over the weekend 
that's going to be an interesting matchup because the Blue Jays coming off those two losses to the Orioles, they're going to try to see if they could get their bearings back as they're just a game and a half ahead of the, I believe it's a game, I got to double check, of both Tampa and Baltimore for that final playoff spot. So give it up to what the Guardians have done. Of course, the Twins are still in the mix. Same for the White Sox as that race is going to be fast and furious, you would think, to the very end. And then the divisions, they're pretty much a wrap, as we all know, in the AL East and AL West with the Yankees in Houston. Although the Astros now have the better record over the Yankees, which will not bode well if the two teams meet up in an LCS in October. We know the history between Yankees and Astros. And if you're a Yankee fan, you want to do your damnedest to try to will your team to get that number one seed, to be able to have home field, because we know that the Astros have had their way with the Yankees, not only just this year, but going back to all those playoff years, 15, 17, 19. And the last thing that they want to do is have to go back to Houston to play a game six or seven, whether up 3-2 or down 3-2. And we've seen that in both cases. 17, they had a 3-2 series lead and they spit the bit. And we know what happened there in 2019 with the Altuve home run off of Chapman in the ninth inning. So, even with the Yankees playing poorly here, one and five during this road trip, where now that'll take them to Boston, and Boston looks like a team that they're pretty much going to be kaput for this year. So that's what you have in the American League. National League, Mets have continued to play well. They swept the Reds. Same for the Braves after their nightmarish weekend in Queens. They won the two games in Boston. So they're still six and a half back of the Mets. And the Mets do have a very interesting stretch here because they'll have the Phillies come into town starting tomorrow. Then they go to Atlanta for four games. They go to Philadelphia for four games, including a doubleheader on Saturday. And then they go to Yankee Stadium for two games before a day off and then hosting Colorado before the Dodgers come in to City Field. So this is going to be a challenge, to say the least, even with a comfortable six-and-a-half game lead, seven in the loss, even with the weekend that they had and obviously sweeping the Reds. But now they're going to get into some hotly contested matchups, division matchups, at home, on the road, crosstown rivals at Yankee Stadium, which you know the Yankees are going to want to give the Mets a little payback for what happened last month at City Field, and then the Dodgers, which everybody's going to look at as an NLCS preview, August 30th, 31st, September 1st. The Cardinals stubbed their toe here a little bit in Colorado, but they still have the slimmest of margins, a one-game lead over the Brewers as we speak. And the Cardinals, you knew there was going to be a little bit of a lull after that seven-game winning streak and the way they performed over the weekend against the Yankees. They have are on the brink of losing two out of three in Colorado at the present moment. But after they're done with Colorado, they have an interesting series where they go back home and they'll play the Milwaukee Brewers, and let's see if there's going to be any separation for the Cardinals to kind of pick up from where they left off last weekend and see with some home cooking that they could take care of the Brewers. Now, if they get two out of three, they'll gain a game in the standings. If they sweep them, obviously three games, which will give them some breathing room in the division. And the Brewers, we know they could pitch. The Brewers have been very up and down here over the last couple of months, and this was going to be a big test for both teams to see after this weekend where they lie in the NL Central 
They do have the wild card to fall back on, but as we all know, you want to win a division, you want to be able to host in that wild card round for sure. And even though plenty of baseball to be played, but this is a series that a lot of people are going to look at and see how both of these teams will come out of it as far as where they stand in that division. And then you have the NL West, which is a formality. The Dodgers, 16 games ahead of both the Padres and the Giants, who are long gone for this season. And the Padres, they have an interesting trip themselves. They'll come back east to where there's going to be a Juan Soto siding in Washington. To think he just got traded five minutes ago and he's about to make his return where the Padres will have an East Coast trip to go to the nation's capital and then down to South Florida to play the Marlins. But we'll see what the reception will be like for one Juan Soto as the Padres will visit Nationals Park over the weekend. So that's pretty much what you have with baseball. And as I take off my cleats and drop the bat and the glove aside, I'll pick up the football cleats, put on the pads and the helmet to get into what's happening with the Shield and the big story coming out of the past week. We've talked about this ad infinitum and even ad nauseum, but Deshaun Watson is scheduled to start in a preseason game against Jacksonville Friday night, and you would think that there's going to be, I'm sure for the 40 people that will attend this game, you may have some backlash. Who knows if you're going to have protesters out there. Maybe a little bit of a stretch, but this day and age with the way the climate is, you never know. But the question that I have with the appointed attorney general who is now overlooking the appeal by the NFL, who is going to take a look to see how harsh the punishment should be, not just the six games that was given down by Sue Robinson, the arbiter, as we found out last week, but now he's going to go ahead and investigate, by the way, his name is Peter Harvey, as far as how lengthy the suspension is going to be. I know Roger Goodell, when he took a look at this, he feels that the ruling should be harsher, based on not only how egregious these allegations were, but also the predatory nature of it all. I know that he would like to probably have Watson sit out an entire season. I'm sure that's not going to be the case. I would think they would probably go up as high as maybe 12 games, which would be three quarters of a season. But I could see it being somewhere, I would think, no more than 10. If it's more than that, I'd be surprised. I know that Goodell wants to make a statement. Granted, he's not the one that's overseeing all this. But he has taken a little bit of charge here. Not much of a PR disaster yet, as we've seen with all the other incidents that have gone on prior to him. Ray Rice, Bounty Gate, Deflate Gate, go on down the list. The question is, will the suspension be handed down prior to the exhibition game in Jacksonville. Because I'm sure if nothing is going to be said and granted, it's been a few days, I understand he's not going to have to go down rabbit holes and I'm sure he doesn't want to make a rash decision because people are going to say, wait a minute, you just appointed this guy five minutes ago and now all of a sudden he's going to hand down 12 games, 13 games, or even 17 games for that matter. 
But the NFL does have to act on this. They just can't sit on their hands and have Watson dress up in uniform, take snaps, play in games, and then, oh, by the way, this is what the ruling is going to be as far as extending the six games to whatever the amount's going to be. And I think they would do the league a disservice by, I'm not going to go as far as saying stall, but to make this longer than what it already has been would be a shame and make you wonder, does the NFL have a clue when it comes to this stuff? So we shall see. I know that a lot of the attention, and I'm sure a lot of reporters, beat writers, they're going to be present. Granted, it's Jacksonville. You know, it's not as if they were playing in Chicago or a city that you figure a lot of the media would flock to. Jacksonville is not a hotbed when it comes to football or the media for that matter. We will certainly keep an eye on what is going to transpire here over the course of the next 24, 48 hours as to a ruling, as to what's going to take place here. And let's hope that the NFL gets it right. You had a tough injury if you're a Jet fan. Makai Becton done for the year with a chip fracture in his right kneecap. I bring that up because he was a number one pick of a couple of years ago. Mountain of a man. Played in the first game last year. Didn't play the rest of the year because of that right knee. And now you have to wonder with him being out again. Is this guy going to be one that is not going to be healthy? That's not going to be a part of the offensive line which is huge especially when you're trying to keep your young quarterback upright. Now, they did sign Dwayne Brown, the former Houston Texan, most recently of the Seattle Seahawks. He is 37 years of age, but could still play at a high level. You bring him in, had to do that, but you have to wonder the future of Becton and what that may be. I tell you, the Jets can't catch a break even if they dropped a zillion dollars in front of the football gods. That's just how it is. So we'll see what Dwayne Brown does. And obviously with the Jets having their first preseason game, I believe they're playing the Eagles. Why do I know that? I don't know. But we will certainly pay attention to that. Besides that, NFL's quiet. I know people are geeked up for the preseason, for the football. You know where I stand on that. So I'll move on. Now as I take off my cleats and put on the high tops, Kevin Durant, the Nets, story has it that Durant did meet with the owner, Joe Sy of the Brooklyn Nets, and pretty much threw down an ultimatum to say, either I go or Sean Mark slash Steve Nasco. And the crazy thing is, is that when Kenny Atkinson was the coach of the team, and a lot of the murmurs were about Atkinson gone, I believe it was what, two-thirds of the season? And then Jock Vaughn was the interim coach? A lot of people thought that Kevin Durant as well as Kyrie Irving were the orchestrators of getting Atkinson fired. So Steve Nash then becomes the coach of the team a couple of years back to the thumbs up approval of Durant. And even after they got swept by the Celtics in the first round a few months ago, didn't have to say a bad word about Nash, said it wasn't his fault, that he wants him back, etc., etc. And now has a change of heart to the point where I don't want to be a part of this team if the GM and the coach are still here. What I want to know is what happened 
between he and Nash or even he and Marks to where he's going to turn to the owner to say it's either my way or the highway. And Joseph Sai has stood pat to say, I'm backing up my staff 100%. So based on his retort, you got to wonder whether or not Durant has pretty much set himself to pack his bags and get out of here. Now we all know they got to get the right fit. They got to get the right deal. But it makes you wonder whether or not that cooler heads couldn't prevail or there couldn't have been a meeting of the minds to get everybody in the room to hash this out and to come back full bore for an entire season to see if they could get that elusive championship. And isn't that why he signed that four-year, $193 million, $198 million extension in the first place? And that's the thing about Durant that, sadly, you can't take seriously about him because forget about him going from Oklahoma City to Golden State. He was a free agent. And same deal when he came to Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving. So as much as you want to put that on him to go ring chasing, is that legit? 100%. But now this is the first time where he's flexing his NBA player empowerment muscle to the point where I'm Kevin Durant and you're not. So I want to go to a team that's not only going to win a championship, but is going to be better suited for him to win as opposed to what had happened in the days, weeks, and months after they got ousted by the Celtics in the first round. And it's a shame. It really is because you didn't want to look at Kevin Durant in that light when it comes to him deciding on where he wants to go once he's already signed. Free agent, that's a separate deal. And you could get on him for that. But now when you see this side of him, it makes you think, oh, I didn't think he was that type of guy. Because just like Kevin Durant says in a lot of his press conferences, I'm just here to play ball. And I believe that. He's not here to whine, mope, gripe, cause drama, be involved in that regard. At least that was the impression that I and a lot of NBA fans got over the course of his 13, 14, 15 years in the league. But now that we see this, it almost makes you think that, wait a minute. He's just like all the other guys that are out there, the James Hardens of the world, even the Ben Simmons of the world, guys like that. And for him to be lumped with those guys that cried a foul or cried wolf to say like, oh, I want out of here and this isn't for me anymore. We didn't expect that out of KD. And now that we've seen that, it really makes you think that he was all in in the first place. Because if he was... He would have gotten everybody together, had that meeting of the minds, and even bringing Kyrie for that matter, because he hitched his wagon to Kyrie to get to Brooklyn and have a kumbaya, candles, a little meditation, healthy food, hash this out, and that's that. And Joseph Sai, he has to do what's right for his organization, as he said. And you can't knock him for it. But Durant, let's see how this soap opera unfolds. I found it very surprising. And I was even taken aback by that if these reports are true. 
because I expected Durant to be more of a stand-up guy to try to work this out and get to the point where either it's irreparable and it's time to go or no, I signed on the dotted line committed to bring a championship to Brooklyn knowing that Steph Curry just won a title where all the talk was when Kevin Durant was at Golden State how those two titles were all pretty much generated based on the MVP performances in both of those finals by KD. And you would think that by him staying in Brooklyn, trying to and possibly winning a championship, that he could say, aha, I did it on my own. Not go to Phoenix to team up with Chris Paul or Devin Booker. Not team up with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo and those guys down in Miami or any other team to be a mercenary just a shame Uh, that's all I could say about that kudos to the NBA by honoring the number 6 that was worn by Bill Russell where it's going to be retired throughout the league I believe they're going to have a patch that's going to be worn or on the court that was a story that came out just a few hours ago understandably and rightfully so I get it that people are going to say well wait a minute What about Michael Jordan? He's number 23. He's the guy that changed the face of this league, not necessarily just by him being Michael Jordan, but the way players have been marketed, what he had done for the game. I don't need to go through all the accolades, but Bill Russell is the guy. For everything that I talked about 10 days ago on the podcast, Bill Russell was more than just a basketball player. If you even want to go there to say that he was the NBA's version of Jackie Robinson, it's not off base. Granted, there's only one Jackie Robinson. And I'm sure Bill Russell has said it many times during his playing career how much Jackie Robinson meant to him and how important he was to even a guy in a different sport to pave the way and be that trailblazer to what he was not just on the court but off the court. So for the NBA to do that, I don't think it's a knee-jerk reaction. I don't think this was, oh, let's just do this just for the sake of doing it. No. When you honor the game's greatest players, and even on a lesser level, when we talked about ALS Day, the day that Lou Gehrig passed away, was I believe June 2nd, 1939, or 1941, excuse me, And how baseball recognizes that day as Lou Gehrig Day. Because this generation wouldn't know who Lou Gehrig is if they fell on him. And a lot of the generation who, forget about even watch Lou Gehrig, but the grandfathers who are now transitioned, who are no longer here, who watched Lou Gehrig play when they were a boy. To have an extension of a player like Russell to show the younger fan that this guy carried the league at a time where the league was just pretty much finding its way. So for the league to do this, not only is it warranted, but it's well-deserved. And I get it, people could say, oh, we had to wait for him to pass away in order to do that. All right, you could argue that. But this is how you're going to honor him. They already have the NBA Finals MVP trophy named after him. So that's not going to change. So now they're going to honor him and his legacy this way. And I'm here for it. 
I'm going to get to another major sport before I get to tennis and golf. NHL, there were a few things that happened over the course of the past week that I didn't mention on the podcast Monday. Jonathan Huberdeau, who was part of that big trade from Florida to Calgary, where Makachuk went from Calgary to Florida. And we know Kachuk pretty much signed on the dotted line hours after that trade was consummated. Well, now Huberdeau gets his big deal. Eight years, $84 million, 29 years of age. And you would think he's going to be a big part of that team. Of course, obviously for the next eight years. But to carry the torch that was left behind by Makachuk. Let's see how he plays there in Alberta. Once we get revved up and started again in October. The Flames also re-signed Andrew Manjapain. He gets an extension, three years, $17.5 million. So he stays put where the Johnny Gaudreau's of the world, as we all know, went to Columbus. And at least they bring back one of their key players from a year ago. Couple that with Huberdeau. So we'll see how they do this upcoming season. The Bruins bring back Patrice Bergeron for a 19th year in Boston, as well as David Krejci, both on one-year deals. So the Bruins will try to run it back with those guys for one last go-around, and I'm sure that's going to be a farewell, more so for those guys, because of the fabric and the championship medal that they brought to that team, organization, city, etc. They played in three cup finals, winning the one in 2011, obviously losing in 2013, and in 2019 to the Blackhawks and Blues, respectively. So kudos to both of them for getting one last lap with the Bees. A sad story, Borges Salming, the Maple Leaf defenseman going back to the 80s, Hall of Famer, announced that he has ALS. I just mentioned Lou Gehrig just a minute ago. So very sad news to hear that he has that condition. Thoughts, prayers go out to he. And his family, hopefully he fights the good fight, but we all know ALS and what it did to Gehrig, and that's 80 years ago. So, Salming, you're in our thoughts, my guy. So, hopefully he'll be able to stick around a lot longer than expected. And then you have my team, the Islanders, who, other than bringing in a defenseman from the Canadians, have done nothing this offseason. All right. They promoted Lane Lambert to coach after firing Barry Trotz. For what reason, I don't know. But now there's a report that Nazem Kadri, the former Colorado Avalanche player, who had a very good year last year, where the Islanders are thinking to sign this player, but there is a likelihood that they may trade Matthew Barzal just to clear some space for Kadri. Lula Amarillo, are you losing your touch? What is happening? Barzell is your guy for years to come. He's the one player that the Islander fan can hang their hat on as far as jersey sales, as far as face of a franchise. Kadri's not going to do that. And I understand that Anders Lee is your captain, but your most talented offensive player by far is Barzell. Yes, he's not the goal scorer that Brock Nelson is. He's not the heart and soul that Anders Lee is. But when it comes to, and I said it before, I'll say it again, he's Kyrie Irving on skates with the way he stick handles. And I get it, it's not all about stick handling and dipsy-doo and ooing and aahing the crowd. And Barzell, he does have some room to improve on top of all that. So I'm not trying to make him out to be a all-NHL first-team player. But if they're really thinking about trading Barzell 
to make room for Kadri to come in. And Kadri's 31 years old. It's not as if Kadri's 24-25 and he's got his whole hockey future ahead of him. Kadri has a lot of miles on his legs. So if you're going to put forth a six, seven-year deal of, I don't know how much, 50-some-odd million dollars, and then you're going to leave Barzal, who's still a kid in this league, doesn't make any sense. So you know I have my eye on what's going to take place there if the Islanders do sign Kadri, and no knock on him whatsoever. Solid career, excellent year this past year. Obviously won a cup, so I'm sure he'd be a tremendous influence in the locker room, knows how to win, etc. But to trade one of your younger guys just to bring Kadri in, who's not an end-all, be-all type of player. Now, you're bringing in Nathan McKinnon, you got to get rid of Barzal. That's another story. But obviously, that's not the case. So, that's what I got with the NHL. Tennis, Serena Williams, the other day in Vogue, talked about how the end is coming. Doesn't want to use the word retirement. Talks about the evolution to be the mom, be more about family. I'm sure fashion and other interests off the court are going to be involved here, which is understandably and rightfully so, considering she will transition to the next chapter of her life. I mentioned this a little bit after her first round loss to Harmony Tan at Wimbledon, but we kind of knew that this was coming. She's going to turn 41 at the end of September. She just had another performance where she lost, I believe it was in Toronto, where a lot of cheers, a lot of accolades, knowing that her career is coming to a close here pretty much over the course of these next few weeks. And not that you expect a long, open run to get to a quarterfinal, semifinal, or even a final. You would hope that she doesn't go out in the first round like she did at Wimbledon, but hopefully she'll have a little bit of length, maybe get to a third round, and then, who knows? You pretty much roll the dice from there. I think if you're a tennis fan, and especially a Serena Williams fan, you would like to see her get a couple of matches under her belt, maybe have some wind under her sails. Who knows? I don't think that's going to be the case. She's going to be competitive. She's going to give everything that she's got. But mother time, just like father time, is undefeated. But as we get closer to the U.S. Open and once the tournament begins and we see how it plays out, then we'll know whether to throw all the bouquets, all of the great memories that she not only left on that court at Flushing Meadow, but also down under at the Australian, Roland Garros, the All England Club, and all the other tennis courts that she's played on throughout the course of her career. But for right now, I'm not ready to close the book just yet. I know a lot has been said this week about her being arguably the greatest American tennis player of all time, including the men's. Until we get to that bridge and we cross it, then we could kind of take a look back and assess that. We know she's an all-time great. We know what she's meant to the sport over the last two decades. But until we get there, we can further discuss. But let's just see how everything shakes down when we get to Flushing Meadow when we kick off the tournament there on, what, August 29th. And I don't know what to believe here when it comes to 
Cam Smith, and I'll close out here with the golf. There were reports out of a publication in the UK where Cam Smith, the Australian, was going to accept an $100 million deal by the Live Golf League. And also Cam Young, the kid that's from Tarrytown, right up the road here from where I live. But Cam Smith, as we know, won the Open last month at St. Andrews. 28 years old, a guy that is ranked number two in the world, a guy that is putting his mark on the sport alongside the John Roms, the Scotty Schefflers, players of that ilk. And although it's not official, because I believe Cam Smith even said it, it's like, yeah, that's been said, but nothing has come out. I think what's happening here is that until the FedEx Cup playoffs come and go, where I'm sure Cam Smith wants to be a part of, once that's completed, then I could see him saying, all right, sayonara, I'm going for the money. I'll see you in Saudi Arabia. I mean, that's the only thing I could think of. Because the golf world was abuzz over the last couple of days knowing that this player was going to jump ship to go along with Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson. We know who all the top players are. So now you have to wonder whether or not is he putting this on ice and waiting until after the FedEx Cup playoff? Or is it just scuttlebutt and that he wants to continue to be a part of the PGA Tour? We're going to have to wait and see how that unfolds. And we've talked about the players who have already jumped ship and what this would mean for Cam Smith. And I could talk about that now, but until it's official, I'll get into that. The PGA is going to have to deal with this at some point. As I've said on my social media accounts, especially TikTok and Instagram. But right now, I won't say anything considering that it hasn't been official that even though the report is out there and in all likelihood, Cam Smith will probably go ahead and take the money and be a part of this Live Golf League. But until we get there, Cam Young, or anybody else for that matter, then we could talk about what the PGA is going to have to do if some of these other top players are going to go along with the aforementioned players that have already made the transition to the Live Golf League. But now if you have a guy like Cam Smith go... Who else on the tour is also going to carve their path to get the big payday from the Saudis with the Live Golf League? That'll do it, my good people. As always, I appreciate you passing by, stopping by, listening to what it is that I have to say about what's happening in the world of sports. I appreciate your participation, whether you're a first-timer, been around for a little while, a long while, or from the very beginning goes without saying how much I do not take your participation for granted. And if you haven't participated in this aspect as far as rating and reviewing the podcast, if you can please do so on wherever you listen to podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. Throw me a few stars, write a review, just so we can increase the visibility. It'll go a long way for those who aren't familiar with me to get an idea as to not only who I am, but what the podcast is all about, covering anything and everything that happens in the world of sports. So please, if you haven't done so, I would implore you to do so. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion, you could do so at the following. TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast. 
Twitter, J Reels, one, just a number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old fashioned way by email, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. With your contribution, it will go 100% to this endeavor. When it comes to the production of this podcast, the upkeep of the website, equipment, etc., I actually just bought a new mic, which will help when it comes to interviews, which I am hoping and trying hard behind the scenes to get lined up, whether it's the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, studio host, writer, blogger, etc. So... People, if you don't know, now you know because it's in the blood, it's in the DNA. This is what I love to talk about. This is my passion. This is what fuels me. This is something that I've been doing for a long time and I plan to do it for many years as long as the good Lord has me on his beautiful earth because what I love to do is not only babble, not only critique, not only praise, not only analyze my thoughts my feelings, my opinions on anything and everything that has to do on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, On the flip, baby.